0: church and of our campus in lexington kentucky it is our prayer that as you listen today you will be encouraged challenged and equipped to be all god has for you we invite you to join us for worship on sunday mornings at either 8:30 or 11 o'clock a.m at our todd's road campus near the hamburg area of lexington and now may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's word,
1: Lord, open our hearts and minds as Your Word is read and as Your Word is proclaimed. May we see You more clearly, and may we know You more intimately. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. Our Scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter four. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come." He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Uh, I uh, realized something
0: this week. I have been in full-time Christian ministry for 16 years now. Good grief. Where'd they go? Um, it doesn't include internships and volunteer positions, and over those 16 years, uh, there were a lot of really good ones. Yes, I said a lot, not all. I was actually run out of one church, church, Shocker, I know. <laughs> uh, I think the rationale was something like I didn't fit the personality of the church. The truth is, I said awesome way too much. I preached with my shoes off, which I still do. I was too bold. I was too brash. And I wanted to bring some change to a church that said, when they interviewed me, we want change. And then I found out that they didn't really want that. And as a result, I was invited to step down. Now, In those 16 years, I also have had two opportunities to return to my home church in St. Petersburg, Florida. I made it as one of the final two candidates both times, and both times they chose somebody else. Yeah, fun. In Fort Lauderdale, uh, I managed 400 kids in our youth group and shared some incredible times of ministry with my associate until my senior pastor decided that he wanted a business entrepreneur leader for the students instead of a, that's a quote, instead of the barefoot, brash, bold, using the word awesome too much pastor. And so I was let go there. Now, in the last 11 years here in the Commonwealth, I have felt encouragement that has really many times been hard for me to comprehend. I felt love and acceptance that those first year rarely afforded. <laughs> and in the last three, you all have supported and blessed me beyond words, a blessing that I know I won't see in this way ever again. I've been blessed in other ways, just this week I was able to sit with Bishop Davis for breakfast for an hour, just he and I, where he just poured into me nonstop. I was walking on a cloud. But you know what's interesting to me as I think about those moments, do you know what's easier to remember? It's those years of rejection. I still have nightmares of letting uh, folks down in Alabama. Uh, I, I still see the look of loss. Uh, on the face of my kids in Fort Lauderdale when we announced I was leaving. I still get news from my home church in St. Pete, and I think, oh, it could have been. Anybody else ever been there? Rejection is a really big deal. Psychologist, Dr. Guy Winch, says that rejection is the most common emotional wound that we sustain in daily life. The risk that used to be was just limited to our immediate social circles. But anymore, due to social media, 24-hour news outlets, our online life, where we are connected to thousands of people, any of whom might ignore our posts, our chats, our texts, our dating profiles, the opportunities for rejection skyrocket. They've at least multiplied by 10. And that's not each year, that's each day. Rejection causes all kinds of wounds, and it invites a number of differing kinds of behaviors and reactions. You know that our brains respond chemically and in very tangible ways when we experience rejection. Scientists, and I think it's kind of a sick study, they hooked up some people to MRI machines with all the cords and everything, and then monitored the functioning of brain waves as people experienced rejection. I don't want to sign up for that test. (laughs) Um, Rejection retrains our brains and how they operate. Rejection invites a word that I know I've used before, but it's one that I don't think about very often, called rumination. You know what rumination is? It's kind of like when a cow chews his cud, just over and over and over. Ruminating, where we constantly chew on some kind of hurt Uh, And the longer we chew on it, the more or the deeper that rejection gets. We can experience rejection. We start chewing on it. It gets harder and harder, more difficult. It leads to times where we just want to control or manipulate all the interactions that we have in life. Rejection pushes us away from social settings and it locks us up into into a cocoon where in that cocoon we just further wound ourselves. We, we, we sink deeper in to even greater rejection. Rejection's a wound that every one of us will face. Sometimes those rejections are easy to dismiss and walk away from. But there are some rejections that when they occur, they create these deep cracks in our identity. And, and, and when we don't seek healing from them, then what happens is every interaction after that, every rejection after that compounds, deepens the wounds, and each and every time that occurs, those wounds become scabbed over a little bit more. During this Lenten season, we've been talking about all these wounds, these various ones that we carry, uh, that all need healing. And each and every one of the wounds, if not healed early on, at least not brought out up into the light early on, they leave these scars on our mind, on our body, and on our soul. It's these scars that create these behaviors these patterns that become really difficult to break we're exploring these wounds not so that i can be sick and twisted <laughs> but so that we can we can see when scar behavior starts to come up we can do something about it so we can have some kind of understanding as why we're acting in ways that we don't act, don't want to but we keep on doing as paul said So let me share with you a couple scars from rejection that I think are really important to be aware of. Behaviors that we might see as they start to to bubble up in our lives maybe has a root of a wound. The first one is bitterness. Ever met somebody who's bitter? Show of hands. You don't have to have Merriam-Webster define bitterness, do you? We just know it. Um, it, bitterness is it's like a bad taste in your mouth. Bitter people are not folks that are easy to be with, right? Bitter, bitterness is like a poison that starts in a hurt but ends up corrosive uh, in our soul like an acid. Just kind of eats away at us and it's chronic and it's pervasive. Resentment is the second scar uh, behavior. It's an, it's an indignation at having being treated unfairly. It's an ongoing hostility and an animosity. Resentment is active. Bitterness sits here and it kind of bubbles out every now and then. Resentment becomes, ah, uh, toxic and coming out. It's an antagonism that deepens the animosity between parties. Unforgiveness is what happens when bitterness and resentment as very close allies Take us to that next step, unforgiveness. Author Anne Lamott says that unforgiveness or not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Like you drinking a poison thinking that somebody else is going to be wounded by it. That's what unforgiveness is. All three of these scars, they often get lashed out in in a variety of ways, but most commonly in the historic vice called malice or anger. Now, we could spend the entire morning talking about righteous indignation or righteous anger and unholy, but I think we all know what it looks like when unholy anger takes over, don't we? It's one thing to be angry when somebody cuts you off on New Circle Road. It's another thing to be angry when your team loses in the sweet 16 and shouldn't have because they were your pastor's final four champs. Thanks a lot. (laughs) It's another thing to be controlled by our anger, isn't it? Being controlled by it, letting bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness fester in our souls releases regular doses of anger that's just downright lethal. Think I'm overstepping? Anger that is uncontrolled will kill you. Let me say that again. Anger that is uncontrolled will kill you. Unforgiveness will lead to as many physical breakdowns of your body as consistently ending the day with too much alcohol. Resentment will cause hypertension and stress. Bitterness will increase blood pressure, increase your chances for depression and anxiety. Anger and malice will cause in you heart issues and a weakening of your immune system. This wound, this scar, it will isolate you and if you think you're controlling it, guess again, you're probably not. You're most likely not. I was reading over the scripture passage that, that Chad read for us a little bit ago, and it dawned on me, Jesus experienced all kinds of rejection. Right? Uh, in this passage, Jesus goes home to his hometown, his home church, and they reject him. And they don't just pass him over for a job. They took him out of the city, and they were prepared to push him over a cliff and stone him. That's not normal. Why? He spoke a truth to their hearts that they couldn't accept. They had let some kind of wound fester inside of them. They prided themselves on some kind of ownership, and in that pride, uh, a wound had taken over. But it wasn't the only time that Jesus was rejected. His brothers and sisters rejected him in John chapter 7. Hannah talked about that with with the kids. He, He was rejected by his church, his denomination, his religious leaders, his pastors. He was rejected by the government that was put in place to protect the innocent, both Jewish and Roman. He was rejected by his closest friends. One betrayed him, Peter denied him, and the rest all ran. Just took off. And as I, I thought about rejection, it dawned on me, Do you know, this book right here uh, that we carry and we read on every week, rejection is a huge part of this story. As much as we love the grace and the love and the forgiveness, and we do, right? Almost every one of those stories has rejection in its DNA. Think about it. Adam and Eve rejected God and then were rejected from the garden. Cain's sacrifice was rejected and he he rejects God and then kills Abel. Noah was rejected by his neighbors. Abram was rejected by his nephew and then he rejected Hagar and Ishmael. And in a way that would have caused all kinds of therapy, he rejects Isaac on the mountaintop. Leah was rejected by Jacob, who had been rejected by Esau. Jacob rejects 10 of his sons in favor of Joseph. Joseph was rejected by all of the brothers. Moses was rejected by his own people a bunch of times. Samson by Delilah, Saul rejected by God, and then rejected by Samuel. David was rejected by Saul and Michael, his own wife, several of his trusted generals, and eventually he was rejected by his own son. Most of Israel and Judah's kings rejected God and rejected a prophet who were sent to help them. The prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Hosea, Jonah, Jeremiah, could go on and on, experience rejection. We just finished a series not too long ago on Ezra and Nehemiah. How many times were they rejected by their own people? We could go on and on and on. Rejection is as much a part of the story of scripture and thus part of our story as followers of Jesus as grace and peace is. I guess you could say rejection is normal. Let's settle in for a second. (coughs) Rejection is normal. But rejection that scabs over into wounds of malice and anger with resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness doesn't have to be our way forward. Jesus was rejected by his hometown, and what does he do? He walks on. He doesn't let it define him. He doesn't let rejection own him. He moves on to the next opportunity where he brings life. He continues to offer something else when he could have acted out of his wounds. You see, and it's in Jesus' response that we see a salve that we can apply to our resentment. Ultimately, healing is in God's hands, right? Right? We can and we should pray for healing, but it's God's gift to us. We can and we should put ourselves in positions to receive that healing and that comes when we apply agents like forgiveness and patience and acceptance or letting go to those spots of woundedness. Let me ask you this. You want to deal with your anger? Learn to quickly let go of your hurt. Forgive. Yes, it means you may not get satisfaction, Mick Jagger already warned us about that. The ledger may never balance, but if wounds become scars and scabs, no amount of restitution will ever equal your hurt. Tired of being bitter or resentful? Choose instead to uh, still your mind, walk in forgiveness. It's not an emotion. It's a choice of your will. Did you know that? Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a choice. Tired of chewing on the same old hurts? Turn your attention to praise. Go for a walk. Leave behind the get them back need that's only poisoning you further. There's a Latin phrase, lex talionis, which is easiest put eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It was an attempt to have justice when a wrong was committed. Do you know what the problem with that mantra is? It's never enough. And it leaves the world toothless and blind. Rejection on its own will tear you apart, beloved. It will keep you from this life of freedom that God longs for you. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be consequences for wrong actions, but those judgments are left to others, not to you. As we come to the table this morning, let me remind you of one final thought. Jesus left Nazareth... And he would eventually come to Jerusalem where he would face ultimate rejection. An ultimate rejection on behalf of you and me. But it was on the night before that he would share with his friends and thus with us that his rejection would lead to the world being reborn. There's something in you today. God wants to bring life to. There's some rejection that you've experienced that you've might turned into a scab and a wound that hasn't been healed. Will you take up things like forgiveness, letting go letting God to get them back? <laughs> instead of you. Will you put down the poison that you're trying to give to a rat? Stop drinking it yourself. Choose to let God bring some healing to those wounds in you. Would you pray with me? <coughs> Gracious God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this opportunity to remember, to remember what you've done for us, to remember what you faced for us. That you were despised and you were rejected. So that we could be healed. Lord, there's a lot of us this morning that are carrying around a lot of uh, wounds, a lot of rejection. And we need healing. We're tired of the scabs, we're tired of the, the drawing back more and more. We need your touch, we need your wholeness. So I ask, O Holy One, that you would come and hover over the hearts of your people where anger and resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness are are controlling us. Lord, point to those wounds. Invite us into forgiveness, letting go, so that we can receive your healing. Gracious God, to each and every one of us who've experienced rejection, and that's all of us, use this time as we come to your table to remember the rejection that you faced so that we might be made whole. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said,